When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tortoise. Hello, it's Basha here, and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. There was a moment just a few years ago when three letters seemed to dominate British politics. E-R-G. Every argument, particularly every argument about Brexit, made mention of those three letters. Now you might remember it was the spring of 2019 and Theresa May, then the British Prime Minister, was trying and failing to get a Brexit deal through Parliament. But those three letters kept getting in her way the ERG, short for the European Research Group, a hardline Eurosceptic faction of the Conservative Party with outsized power and influence. They eventually brought down Theresa May and replaced her with Boris Johnson, achieving an almost mythical status within the party. But four years is a long time in politics and now things are very different. The ERG's most recent rebellion flopped and its would-be leadership contender is all but finished. In this week's Slow Newscast, Tortoise's political editor Kat Nealon charts the story of the remarkable decline of the ERG. This is Yesterday's Men. Bridge is cleared with the exception of the Oswatch lookout, two lines of communication, two bridge flaps. Roger, I have the ship. Clear the bridge, come below, shut the upper lid. Once the upper lid of a submarine is shut, it can disappear from sight. Clip control, tell manoeuvring to obey telegraph And for months, it can stay underwater. Open main vents. Open main vents. Diving down, diving down. Although on the surface there's nothing to see, it's still there, patrolling, watching and waiting. As they say in the Navy, the submarine remains at sea. It may not break cover through the waters very often, but it will do when it needs to, from time to time. This is how members of the most consequential group in the Conservative Party for a generation see themselves. That faction is the European Research Group, more commonly known as the ERG. At the peak of its powers, the ERG acquired almost mythical bogeyman status in Westminster. They brought down Theresa May's government, the ghost story would go. Perhaps they could bring you down too. It is clear that the House does not support this deal, but tonight's vote 
tells us nothing about what it does support. Another thumping defeat. You can see it there, nearly a 150 majority against the Prime Minister. It's going to make a statement. But as Brexit dropped off the front pages, the ERG submarine disappeared from view. Some say it was lost in the depths. Others claim it's still patrolling the seas. Just because you don't hear much from the ERG and DRG members for a, a bit, it doesn't necessarily mean they've gone away. One day last month, there was a pivotal moment in the history of the ERG. Some say it put the final nail in the coffin for the group that once dominated British politics. A day when, faced with a fresh test of strength, the ERG stumbled. Instead of forcing Prime Minister Rishi Sunak into a humiliating defeat with all the embarrassing headlines that follow, it was the ERG itself which became the story. A childish spat, a rebellion that flopped, and a would-be leadership contender all but finished off has led some to call time on the group that once held the country's fate in its hands. The ERG is dead, dead, dead. And begged the question, could another group be ready to replace them? I'm Kat Nealon, and this is Yesterday's Men, the Brexit hardliners' last stand, a slow newscast from Tortoise. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023, but you could be forgiven for thinking we've gone back to the dark days of 2019. The Prime Minister is claiming to have secured a new post-Brexit deal with the EU, Details are scarce, but Number 10 is hailing a positive breakthrough in talks with EU President Ursula von der Leyen. Brexiteers, both in Westminster and Stormont, are spitting feathers, not least because they haven't a clue what's been agreed. I sat through a meeting with a group of our MPs and a very senior person in the government who said there is no deal. Well, that blatantly obviously was a deal because it, it appeared fully fledged about a week later. So the information flow made it quite difficult for people. This is Christopher Howarth. He's the ERG's senior researcher. It was very tightly held. There was a small group in Number 10 in the Cabinet Office who had done the negotiating and held the documents. Even the ministers responsible, I, I think even Steve Baker has said that um, he wasn't really kept in the loop about it. I think even other ministers who nominally were in charge of it weren't really briefed on what was going on. So it came as a surprise to them as to everyone else when the actual documents came. But with rumours that the deal has been branded the Windsor Agreement and that tea with King Charles is being used to sweeten up Brussels, temperatures back home are rising. Jacob Rees-Mogg, key ERG member, attacks the plan as being on the borderline of constitutional propriety. The following Monday, speaking in Windsor, Rishi Sunak and Ursula von der Leyen wax lyrical, not just about the deal, but about each other. Good afternoon, Prime Minister Rishi. It is an honour and a pleasure to be here in Windsor with you. It's quite a shift from the frosty era with Boris Johnson and Angela Merkel. But the warm words and positive vibes in Windsor don't translate to the parliamentary offices of the European Research Group. Here, senior researcher Christopher Howarth and a small group of Eurosceptic MPs are trying to make sense of what they have just seen and heard. They're also doing the sums. Much has changed since the ERG's heyday under Theresa May, but crucially, Rishi Sunak now enjoys a working majority of 66. Many of the key players have moved on, some into plum government roles. And, under Keir Starmer's leadership, 
Labour has adopted a more conciliatory approach. In this 25th anniversary year of the Good Friday Agreement, we must once again embrace compromise and put division behind us. This deal is not perfect, but because we recognise that the UK agreed to the protocol and has an obligation to make it work, because we recognise that for the protocol to work, there will inevitably be trade-offs, and because we always recognise that peace and prosperity in Northern Ireland is hard won, Labour will support the Windsor framework. It's a world away from the situation facing Theresa May. And yet, whispers in Westminster suggest the ERG submarine is getting ready to surface. This week also felt like one big throwback to 2019. Strong Theresa May vibes. We are back to those days of poring over the parliamentary arithmetic on Brexit. Of course, Boris Johnson suddenly... Before getting down to the numbers, though, the ERG needs to understand exactly what MPs are being asked to vote on. They were, according to Christopher Howarth, slightly on the back foot, hamstrung by the late publication of the deal documents themselves. There are three weeks before the scheduled vote. The clock is ticking. Lawyers Martin Howe and Barney Reynolds, the team the ERG calls its star chamber, begin interrogating the details. So for the first sort of week or two after it, after the sort of the, the announcement, we had a bit of a, a perda period while we were trying to work through exactly what, um, trying not to prejudge what, what the documents actually meant. Where of course the government knew exactly what they'd meant because they'd been working on them for months. So there was a bit of a phony war for a bit. But when the legal advice came out, we then had very little time to, and there was only a 90-minute debate on the statutory instrument, which is only a small part of the whole thing. So given the circumstances, we, we did our best to try and explain to the wider world what the Windsor framework means and doesn't mean. Eventually, the Star Chamber produces its report, some 137 pages long, According to those who have seen it, it's very comprehensive. In their view, the Windsor framework does not do what the government says it will. And the conclusion that they came to, which was, I think, shared by a number of others within the ERG who are also lawyers, uh, was that the, the framework didn't actually change very much. The Northern Ireland Protocol, which many of us regard as completely objectionable, was, was still essentially in place. And if anything, the framework simply cemented the unsatisfactory state of affairs that was created when, when, we, um, when we went into the protocol in the first place. The ERG calls a meeting with MPs and the legal duo so that backbenchers can be briefed. A second meeting is then called, in which MPs debate how to respond to the vote. We're a broad church, so um, some, some ERG members um, sort of believed the government's line on it and thought that this was something they could support. Some abstained, some voted against. One of the questions that ERG members have is, what will the DUP do? The Northern Irish Party might have a small footprint in Westminster. There are just eight DUP MPs sitting in the Commons, but the two groups are intrinsically linked on Brexit. One of the other questions is, what will Steve Baker do? As perhaps the single most influential member of the ERG, but one who now has a role in Rishi Sunak's government, political tea leaf readers are watching and waiting. As recently as last winter, a number 10 insider described Steve Baker to me as one of the few MPs to genuinely make the weather. Having resigned over Theresa May's checkers deal, if he quits his new role, that would be the bat signal for Eurosceptics to reunite, vote down the Windsor framework, and perhaps even begin the move to force Rishi Sunak out of office. 
it was beginning to look a lot like 2019. To really understand the influence the ERG once wielded, we need to wind back a few years. It started, as its name suggests, as a research-led organisation, founded in 1993 by former Minister Michael Spicer to help Eurosceptic colleagues navigate their response to the Maastricht Treaty. During the long years in opposition, the ERG remained focused on research. But when David Cameron became Prime Minister in the coalition government of 2010, things started to change. According to Cameron's one-time Europe minister, David Liddington, no friend of the ERG, the coalition caused a certain degree of frustration and resentment to bubble up on the right of the Conservative Party. There was resentment, and that would have been reinforced by the fact that the compromise inherent in a coalition means that some of the things that you hoped for, some of the things that were in the manifesto of your party, don't actually get into the coalition programme of the government. UKIP was on the rise, and while it was unlikely that the Populist Party could actually steal seats from Tory MPs, it could erode the vote share, allowing other parties through the middle. This focused minds among Eurosceptics, who began pushing for a referendum. At one point, for example, there was a uh, something that was, was put forward regretting that the Queen's speech did not include a commitment to a referendum, so things like that. I mean, the ERG had started off years and years previously as, as a discussion group about European affairs. And under the coalition and then under the Cameron majority government from 2015 to 17, you, you started to see uh, the ERG take on a completely different form, acting much more as a, a, a party within a party. That description, the party within the party, has always been slightly contentious. Members of the ERG see themselves as descendants of the dining club groups that used to dominate parliamentary politics in the 19th and 20th centuries. They emphasise the fact that the Conservative Party is a broad church. Some of them even play down the influence they have had over the last 10 years. Oh, we're definitely not a party within a party. We don't have the discipline of a party, we don't have the structures of a party, and we are... We're a ginger group within the Conservative Party and no more. But after having pushed successfully for a referendum on whether to stay in the EU and having won the argument to leave, the ERG still had yet to truly flex its muscles. It would not do that until the high drama of Theresa May's minority government and in particular the three meaningful votes which would define the type of Brexit the UK had and how hard or soft it would be. The exact number of ERG members has always been hard to pin down. I'm not going to say how many government ministers are in it because it is, uh, it is essentially a group of um, members it's of It's a secret society, is it? <laughs> it's not a secret society, it's a European so why, research why won't group. So why not you say uh, how many ministers are in it? Even during the course of reporting this podcast, those involved would simply tell us that it has a fuzzy edge. But notable members have included Priti Patel, Suella Braverman, Ian Duncan-Smith, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and, of course, Steve Baker. As one of our colleagues said earlier today, the trenches are about to be overrun. In such circumstances, what is required from all of us is discipline. A devout Christian and a devout Brexiteer, Steve Baker has been the MP for Wickham since 2010. He was appointed Deputy Chairman of the ERG by then-Chair Jacob Rees-Mogg after he resigned from Theresa May's government over her Brexit deal. That role made Steve Baker the ERG's de facto whip, and it was during this period that the group became a force to be reckoned with. Alongside research and advice came discipline, organisation and directions on how to vote. 
current members, perhaps feeling somewhat betrayed by Steve Baker's more recent actions, try to play down the significance of his role. But those on the receiving end are in no doubt that he was at the centre of things at this time. Neither is Steve Baker himself. I've done four general elections, I've been an MP for 13 years, and I don't think it's too bashful to say I don't suppose anybody else in history has led as many rebellions as successfully as I have, and that's, if, if anything, down to the technology. Um, I will be, I'm, I think forever, the first MP to have used WhatsApp broadcast lists to run big rebellions, and um, it's been a hell of a thing. Steve Baker's enthusiastic adoption of WhatsApp meant ERG members could be corralled to vote for or against, and in this period, it was usually against, whatever legislation the government brought forward. He was a very, very good organiser, and in the early votes on Brexit, he was very good at sort of getting people together and communicating, and so people knew which, which amendments, which votes were coming up when. As well as the personalities and the technology, the other key factor that cemented the ERG's influence was simple parliamentary arithmetic. Having called a disastrous snap election in 2017, Theresa May had lost both her authority and her majority. With Labour voting against the government throughout this period, there was only ever one outcome. Here's David Jones, current deputy chairman of the ERG. Around the time of the three meaningful votes during Theresa May's prime ministership, that, that, that of course, was a, a time of frenetic activity. Uh, there was a great deal of organisation going on and uh, uh, quite a few people who were not uh, strictly members of the ERG joined ERG members uh, to get what we thought was the right result. And you'll recall that the first meaningful vote resulted in the largest ever defeat uh, for uh, a Conservative Prime Minister. On the first vote, 118 Conservative MPs rebelled against the government. The second was opposed by 75. And despite a string of leave-backing Tories, including Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg, belatedly swing behind the Prime Minister, the third, slightly tweaked vote was rejected by 34. It's time to recognise it is connected with Theresa May as Prime Minister. It is my sorry duty to say that it's time to put the letters in and to have the vote and test the will of the Conservative Party to continue this. Mr Speaker, I think it should be a matter of profound regret to every member of this House that once again we have been unable to support leaving the European Union in an ordinary fashion. It's hard to express the high drama and complete disbelief at what was happening in Westminster at that time. Theresa May had lost badly. She couldn't continue. But it was more fundamental than that. The country had already been divided by a ratio of 52 to 48 over the decision to leave the EU. As these votes showed, the very people in charge were just as divided on what to do next. One government source simply told The Guardian, last one out, turn off the lights. It's a time that has left its mark on those who participated on either side of the debate. Here's how one ERG-backing MP remembers it. The pressure that people were being put under when those meaningful votes were going on. People were being bullied if the whips had something on them. They were being bribed if they didn't have anything. The position that they offered me was the position that they knew that I would have loved. They made the offer while I was sitting on the benches and people were accepting bypasses for their towns and that sort of stuff, you know? Gavin Barwell, Theresa May's chief of staff, told us that while he hoped no-one ever stooped to bullying, pressure isn't entirely unreasonable. I hope you, don't, you wouldn't ever have instances of people being bullied. That, that's not, I mean, it's not, clearly not a productive tactic for any whip's office to use against people who are on your side, ultimately. But it's entirely legitimate, I think, for a government's whip's office to 
to put pressure on MPs and, and make the arguments forcefully about why a prime minister needs their support. But at the peak of the ERG's power, it didn't much matter whether it was the carrot or the stick. The first two were obviously the government lost by a country mile, but the third vote was close and could have been won, I think. And you know, my reading of it was that it was a conversation between Steve and Suella Braverman that was critical in ensuring that we didn't get that final hardcore group over the line. If we got that, I think we would have won over some Labour rebels and then we would have been able to, to pass the agreement. And it's often sort of forgotten, I think, when you look back at all of those votes that on the third vote, Boris Johnson, Ian Duncan Smith, Dominic Raab, a whole, a whole number, Jacob Rees-Mogg, a whole number of these senior Eurosceptics were convinced, maybe reluctantly they would tell you, but, but did come across and vote with the government. And it was only a small hardcore that we weren't able to persuade, but they ultimately proved critical. Marc Francois, who would go on to become chairman of the ERG, branded this small hardcore as the Spartans, a reference to the Greek warriors who sought to hold back the mighty Persian army at Thermopylae. The 300, as they're sometimes known, fought to their heroic, noble death. While the imagery might feel somewhat overblown in hindsight, it captured a certain mood, and the name stuck. However, after Theresa May was replaced by Boris Johnson with his oven-ready Brexit deal, and with mines focusing on the more immediate threat of COVID, the ERG's submarine disappeared from view. Marc Francois had another colourful analogy. Perhaps we should now take on board the advice of the prophet Isaiah, who said, and they shall beat their swords into ploughshares, and... Their, sorry, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In that case, perhaps I and my Spartan friends should now lower our spears too, but perhaps keep them to hand, just in case one day someone, perhaps the leader of the opposition, should try and take us back in. In that same speech, Marc Francois noted that while the battle for Brexit had been won by his band of ultras, the battle for the union is now about to begin. It's a battle that Rishi Sunak hoped would be concluded with his Windsor framework. Let's bring you some more breaking news. The European Research Group of Eurosceptic Tory MPs has been meeting this morning and it has decided to recommend its members vote against the government in the Brexit vote that's going to be held in Parliament later. Quite a lot has happened between the Spartans' spears being lowered and this most recent Brexit vote. But the ERG has still found time to celebrate leaving the EU at a dinner held at the private members' Carlton Club. According to the Daily Telegraph's colourful account of the evening, the Spartans dined on trout salad and boiled quail's eggs, followed by lamb rump, all served with wine that one attendee told the paper was Chilean, not, not French. French. They posed for a picture on the club's elaborate staircase, wearing green ties decorated with small gold Spartan helmets, mementos handed out by veteran ERG member Sir Bill Cash. But in the months after this moment of unity, the threads that held the ERG together began to unravel. Boris Johnson's behaviour over Partygate had split the group, with Steve Baker among those publicly pulling his support for the man who had, supposedly, got Brexit done. During the subsequent leadership contest, the ERG was divided on who should succeed him. Rishi Sunak, despite being an early advocate of Brexit, was not popular, 
Sources say there was a poor turnout to the ERG's hustings that summer, a sign that the group was already losing influence. When he was eventually installed, Rishi Sunak gave several ERG members ministerial roles. That included Home Secretary Swella Braverman, Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris and Northern Ireland Minister Steve Baker. And so, as the clock ticked down to the Windsor Framework vote, the question in people's minds was, could the ERG still exert the pressure it once had and would Steve Baker be a part of it? One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, it's Tommy from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. The risks posed by AI range from bias in decision-making to misinformation and the misuse of personal information, all at an unprecedented scale. Nearly a quarter of UK businesses understand that the regulatory landscape is changing fast, and nearly half are tracking new regulatory guidance to be responsive to emerging best practice. The EY Responsible AI Service helps organisations innovate safely providing confidence that AI and generative AI technologies are developed and managed ethically, transparently and sustainably, and that potential regulatory and reputational risks are identified and mitigated. Discover how you can create a better working world with AI by going to ey.ai. In the end, the self-described hard man of Brexit took another route. Steve Baker told Newsnight he was enthusiastically backing the Windsor framework and urged colleagues to do likewise. To have delivered the Stormont break as a real thing, I've poured over the legal text myself, others will do likewise, but to have delivered that is the most extraordinary negotiating triumph and I'm very, very pleased. As late as yesterday, I thought I might have to resign and I'm delighted to be able to say that this is a great opportunity for us to close one chapter of our national story, move on to the next on the day of the vote itself, asked about the prospect that both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss would rebel, Steve Baker doubled down. He's got a choice. He can be remembered for the great acts of statecraft that he achieved, or he can risk looking like a pound shop Nigel Farage. This, and the wider sense of betrayal, started an extraordinary war of words between himself and his former Spartans. One Tory, biting his lip, told me, Steve is in government, so those are his views. Another said, if anything, Steve is the pound shop figure, swapping principal for ministerial office. A third simply described his former ally as an arse. The divisions between the two camps deepened as the day wore on. While Boris Johnson floundered in front of the Privileges Committee and Rishi Sunak published his eye-opening tax return, something was afoot on the ERG's WhatsApp groups. 
Sources say it started when Christopher Howarth shared the legal report put together by the ERG Star Chamber. One says Steve Baker wasn't entirely approving of this. Another says Christopher Howarth made an adverse comment challenging Steve, saying, don't, don't you feel, feel you've, you've left, left the, the cause? Whatever the trigger, the situation quickly spiralled. Baker removed Howarth from one WhatsApp group. Howarth then retaliated and removed Baker from others, an act of self-defence, allies say. But Baker then ejected Howarth and several others and announced he was closing the groups down. One exchange has made it to the public domain. Can you remove yourself as the admin, please, rather than throw me out? That would be great. Thanks, Chris. No. Why not? You are no longer an officer of the group any longer. Would seem better for all to hand over control. But if you promise not to throw me or anyone else out of this one as well, that would be great as well. Kind regards, Christopher. Colleagues, with apologies, I'm about to empty this group and delete it. I'm confident that officers will wish to recreate it. The verdict of those watching this was that it was unedifying behaviour for a high-profile colleague to engage in. It was just plain childish. Quite petulant behaviour. Everybody else just looked at it with amusement. It was very much a 21st century tiff. Steve Baker declined to speak to us, and neither Christopher Howarth nor David Jones wanted to discuss this particular episode. But Howarth did concede that these kinds of spats are invariably a bad idea because, before long, they go public. I think politicians are probably quite aware that sort of WhatsApp messages are sort of, depending how big the group is, they, <laughs> if, you, if you start to have a, an in-depth sort of argument for someone, that it's only a matter of time before, before it ends up in the hands of a journalist. In the end, the Windsor framework sailed through the Commons with 515 votes for and just 29 against. Eyes to the right, 515. The nose to the left, 29. The eyes have it, the eyes have it. Unlock! Of the no's, 22 were Conservatives. Steve Baker voted with the government. At the same time, just down the corridor, Boris Johnson was answering questions about the extent to which he misled Parliament over the lockdown-breaching parties held in Number 10. The timing of these two pivotal moments, as Rishi Sunak invited England's T20 team to play cricket in the garden at Downing Street, has served to highlight the demise of both the ERG and the man they once propelled to the highest office in the land. It was interesting to me that that vote happened at the same time as the appearance before the Privileges Committee. So that week to me felt like quite a epiphanal week in terms of Boris Johnson's hold over the Conservative Party. At the end of that week, he looked a much diminished figure, both in terms of how his performance went in front of the Privileges Committee, but also in terms of the, the if you like, the revealed evidence of the lack of sway he held over his colleagues. Others have been less diplomatic. Time has moved on, and the people who voted against it are yesterday's men and women. The ERG is dead, dead, dead. Some people will say it was dead already, but I think Windsor Framework put the final nail in the coffin. And, as always, ready to stick his oar in, Nigel Farage tweeted it was the last throw of the dice for Euroscepticism in the Tory party. Unsurprisingly, that's not the view of those in the ERG itself. They point to the fact that, while only 22 Tories voted against, a further 48 abstained, 70 in total. About a third of the backbench um, Conservative Party wants you to take out the ministers who, who are obviously bound to, um, to, have to have to vote for it. So um, 
I think it, the number of people who voted against and abstained is a is a sign of the uneasiness with the the Windsor framework, for the simple reason that um, it isn't really a solution to the problem it was trying to solve. Brexiteers claim that slips, which give MPs the excuse to be absent even on a three-line whip, were being handed out like sweeties. That meant those on the government payroll could avoid having to either resign or support something that wouldn't fly with their members back home. They also argue that weariness, along with the prospect of a general election next year, means that some of those who did vote for the deal did so without really digging into the details. And I think a lot of MPs dearly hoped that this was the solution and almost were nervous of actually reading it for fear of finding out that it wasn't the solution. And far from being dead, the ERG's deputy chairman, David Jones, argues the group will now bide its time for the problems in the Windsor framework to become apparent, while also being on the lookout for any perceived Brexit backsliding. Just because you don't hear much from the ERG and DRG members for a bit, it doesn't necessarily mean they've gone away. As, as they say in the Navy, the submarine remains at sea. A day after the vote, Christopher Howarth and Steve Baker met, somewhat awkwardly, at the University of Buckinghamshire, where both men were down to give a speech. I was looking at the various campaigns I ran. I thought I'd better write a list. Uh, Conservatives for Britain, vote leave. Um, the first time I did the ERG, uh, I was then a government minister. I then did the ERG again in different capacities. Did the COVID recovery group, uh, Conservative Way Forward, and the Net Zero Scrutiny Group. And my goodness, it has been a busy, busy old time. And I'm glad to be a minister once again. And I know I need to be just a little bit careful with the camera running. But I do need to stay defensively within the bounds of government policy, and I do intend to do that. And I hope it won't disappoint any of you too much. One left the stage as the other entered. They didn't speak. Howarth stresses that he has no malice towards Steve Baker, but others say the ripples of that day are still playing out on WhatsApp, in the groups that were hastily recreated after being deleted by their one-time instigator. One member told me, Eurosceptics have long memories and a keen sense of betrayal. But outside of the internal squabbles, what is the ERG's legacy? To some, perhaps, it's a joke. To others, it's still painful. Either way, its impact on Westminster politics is ongoing, not least in the manner through which MPs are organised. Here's David Liddington again. In an earlier generation, even in my earlier terms in Parliament, for members of parliament to organise a sort of conspiracy. I mean, they would have had to have physical meetings or at least whispered conversations in the corridors. And it was much more difficult to keep this sort of operation secret and to talk tactics without government whips listening in to, to, to what you were, were, were saying. So new technology has certainly made it easier for um, you know, dissenting groups within any political party to organise now. The whips nowadays have to operate in a world where people don't write letters and sort of notes and leave them on the notice board in the members' lobby of the Commons. They, they, they join WhatsApp groups where they're sending encrypted messages to one another. And perhaps because of the ease of this technology, perhaps in their desire to have the profile once held by Steve Baker and the Spartans, we've seen a wave of copycat groups launch. WhatsApp has definitely been a terrible invention in terms of the um, collegiality and unity of, of political parties in Parliament. 
Uh, it, it definitely hasn't helped. You know, I put, it's got worse, I think, since I left. But even when I was there, there were all these different groups that proliferated. And, and people just say things online in these groups that they would never say if you were sitting around a table together talking about something. One of the questions now being asked is, if the power is no longer in the hands of the ERG, where is it? Although Rishi Sunak has a comfortable majority and minds are focused on the coming general election, there is enough dissent within his party to give him a few sleepless nights. But is there a new power centre? The short answer, for now at least, appears to be no. So there's net zero group, there's the COVID recovery group, there was the European research group, there's the China research group. Um, you know, you've got the 1992, you've got the ERG, you've got the Conservative Growth Group, you've got the Conservative Way Forward, Common Sense Group. The truth is, none of these on their own could tip the balance, but some combination might. And this is how I learnt about a new umbrella initiative called the Five Families. It's still early days. Many sources had not yet heard of this latest venture on the right of the Conservative Party, and those who had would only speak on strict background. There are lots of moves to bring these groups together, but the Five Families is probably the most interesting. It's bringing these agendas together. It's just something going on in the background, trying to organise the right of the party and creating some kind of structure. Every so often we have meetings. It's very ad hoc. But there are representatives of the, well, I'd call it the five plus families that there are within the Parliamentary Conservative Party who share similar views. The 92 group basically acts as a kind of coordinator for the centre-right of the party. And then there are the others. The Common Sense group, the Growth group, the ERG, obviously, the Northern Research group. There's one called the Blue Collar group, and there are some very small ones which haven't even got names. All these groups are pretty fluid, but the idea is that if you kind of have these meetings, even on an ad hoc basis, at some point, if an issue comes along that you can find common ground on, then you can perhaps block or force change. With the vote on the Windsor framework, Rishi Sunak has won the battle. The ERG submarine is still on patrol, but appears to no longer pose any real threat. But perhaps more significantly, it has set the template, one of discipline, organisation and the use of new technology that could continue to disrupt British politics for years to come. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. It was written and reported by me, Kat Nealon. The producer was Imi Harper and the executive producer was Kerry Thomas. Sound design was by Tom Birchall. Tortoise. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hello, I'm John Curtis. And I'm Rachel Wolfe. This week on Trendy, the monarchy. A year after the coronation, and as King Charles returns to work, what do we think of it? And how has that changed over time? To listen to the episode, search for Trendy on Tortoise News, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode.